This is Levy Meyer representing Compass Florida, and you're listening to the Real Talk Podcast. <laughs> What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Real Talk, episode number 43. Uh, guys, I started this podcast about a year and two months ago, and we're already through 43 podcasts. So this is our 43rd episode. Uh, I just want to say thank you for those that have been with us for day one. It's been a nice journey. I've had an opportunity to really sit down with interesting people, have conversations, deeper conversations than you would normally by going out for a drink or going out to a happy hour uh, or inside a controlled office setting. So, you know, one of the reasons why I started this podcast was to give insight to those that were in the real estate industry or interested within the real estate industry or tech industry to really delve into what's really going behind the scenes, not just at Compass, but the real estate market and how we live and how we operate and also the personalities that are surrounding in our field. So, uh, and some, some of you guys may have been listening since episode one, but if you haven't, you know, please go back and listen to uh, the two episodes that I've done with my friend Levy Meyer from Miami. He's the Compass. He's the one of the founders of our Compass brokerage in Miami, Florida. Uh, I've also had my mentor and my manager Gordon Golub, uh, who was the ex-founder or the original founder of City Habitats. Uh, him and Andrew Heiberger, who founded essentially the, the early beginning of real estate brokerage in New York City. Uh, I've also had Will Gieselin on. Will is a good friend of mine. He was the first corporate accountant for Compass, or formerly known as Urban Compass. He comes on and talks about why Amazon pays $0 in federal income tax and how Trump may have gotten away with paying $700 in federal personal, uh, personal income tax. Uh, I've had other people like Rory Gollard, who is the GM of Compass, in the, in the tri-state region. My good friend, Sean Hughes, who I have actually uh, grown our business with together from the town days. Uh, and also really influential New York City characters like Amir Karangi, who's the founder of The Real Deal, all the way to G Gabriel Stolman, who uh, used to operate 10 restaurants in New York City. Uh, but because of the pandemic, obviously things have shifted there. So please go ahead and, and, and take a listen to those episodes. But on to today, I'm really excited to uh, bring on Mike Cassetta. Mike is a friend, client, a colleague, and I would also say a mentor in business and also uh, one of the most influential people that Compass has hired and is we're currently working on our team, along with our team for us. Uh, just to give you a brief, brief background, Mike is currently the Chief Sales and Strategy Officer at Compass. What that actually means, we'll go into in a little bit, uh, a little later. As far as his background, Mike grew up in Long Island. He started his sales career as a Cutco knives salesman. Some of you may remember Cutco. I remember when I was a kid, uh, we had people in my high school selling Cutco knives. Essentially, it's a door-to-door -door sales operation. You're selling knives. You're selling different packages. You're selling subscriptions. Uh, Mike became very, very successful at it. He eventually rose to the division manager position uh, of the company, and he was responsible for the entire New York City metro and surrounding areas. So I guess, Mike, just... One real quick question is, is did you, sure. you made money on that? And I'm assuming that paid for some of your school? It paid for all of college. I mean, it's, it's pretty <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Mike went to Harvard, uh, not a local state college where you're paying four or 5,000 bucks. You're paying, you're, you know, you're paying 50, 60, probably 10 times whatever you pay for state colleges are worth. So that's amazing. We can talk briefly about that in a little bit. But after that, Mike, uh, after graduation from Harvard, graduating from Harvard, I believe you were a you were in a science degree, right? It wasn't sales, it wasn't business, it wasn't accounting. You were you were it in some sort of economics. Bio 
and then biochemistry, biochemistry. Uh, as a focus. Yeah. Yeah, it seems easy at Harvard, huh? It's a, it's Very easy. Else. Yeah, <laughs> nothing like memorizing 145 different, you know, alkene compositions in organic chemistry, and you know, knowing what your isotopic balance is for a chemical reaction. Yeah, good so Friday not, night fun. Not not only were you a sales genius, but you're also a, 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 a chemistry genius. So yeah, you know, it, it's it's you have the benefits of having uh, both worlds, which is the kind of unique, you know, you see, you see a lot of salespeople, especially maybe real estate brokers. A lot of them don't have an engineering background, but a lot of them maybe have come from a, a business background or even like an acting background is very popular or, or a sales background is, is from a different company is more popular. Uh, you're a sales guy that actually has uh, more technical knowledge of, of, of the sciences. So that's really interesting. Fast, fast track after graduation, you were, uh, you worked at the VP of sales and marketing for structured web which is a, uh, a web company that scales growth for certain businesses. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yep. marketing yep. automation, sales automation for companies that sell through indirect channels, resellers, partners, VARs, system integrators, very complicated world, but a world that mm -hmm. needed a lot of help. Right, right. And then after that, you moved to San Francisco to join Square, which uh, many of us yep. probably know if you had gone to a local copy store, you may have seen that little Square icon uh, to, that helps us empower small businesses to take more payment or different types of payment. So uh, Square was founded by none other than Jack Dorsey, who many of you may know, may not know, he is the, the founder of Twitter. So Mike uh, advanced to become the global head of sales at Square. He was responsible for growing the sales and business development organization from 40 to 200 people across five major countries. And you grew their business to $1 billion in annual revenue. So that, that's, that's, that's phenomenal from, from a tiny little, I don't know, at 40, what's your sales at 40 people? What can it be? A couple million bucks, not even? So, from the sales org, it wasn't a ton, but it was, it was a nice run, nice ride. Yeah, so, so 100X, which is a, it's a pretty, you know, if you work in any sales business, 100X is, a, is what sales coaches train to people. You know, 100X, <laughs> people get fired up, but you actually achieve those figures. So that's, uh, that's something that uh, should be noted. And then present day, you work with us and your primary goal as the chief sales and strategy officer is essentially to grow each individual broker's revenue throughout the nation. Mm -hmm. So Mike, thank you for coming on. I appreciate your time and good to see you during this pandemic. You too. You too. I, I'm a little upset to know that I'm only the 43rd most interesting person you know, uh, and that 42 people somehow got top and higher billing than I did. You know, talk. I thought we were friends, but that's um, amazing. You know, and, I don't and know. Some people have been on like know. twice already. No, Mike, this is not. Oh, come on. At all. <laughs> Mike, you've you've been on. I, I've looked you up. I, I'll tell you something. If you, some of these, some, most Tinder? of your listeners don't no. know this, you are, you have been out of all of our guests. You have been, you have appeared in more podcasts than any of our other guests that have ever been on to date. Even well, guys like Amir Karangi, who Amir, Amir is in front of people every day and he could leverage his, his audio to be on a po podcast platform, but he hasn't yet. Uh, he's more on like YouTube and stuff, but like you're, you have, you've been on more, you've appeared under more podcasts, episode searches than anyone that I have. Uh, These are fun. Did. So, <laughs> so these are fun. So you're clearly you're you're the most popular guest on a podcast platform that I've ever had, and uh, you know well, sometimes let's find you gotta out. save let's prove you it. gotta save the best for last, you know. <laughs> Not that yeah, we're well, in I'll, the I'll last, keep telling you. myself that. <laughs> so 
Anyway, so, so listen, Mike, uh, what we do is on this show, we want to, we don't want to just go straight to the heart. We want to kind of warm you up a little bit, give you a couple softball tosses. Oh, by the way, before All we right. start, I am joined by my co-host, Danielle Stout. What's up, everyone? Danielle is in her apartment in Jersey City right now. Yeah. All right. So I thought this was a New York only podcast. New oh, Yorkers no, only. I, I, I I'm have, sorry. Have, I'm sorry. I have gotten people from Ari Offshore in LA. I had. I'm you know, kidding. I, had, I got people. Oh, Layton Johnson from Aspen, who just signed a $24.5 million estate called the Two Mile Ranch. Awesome. Aspen cool. is doing great this year. Their market is fire. I'm just giving Danielle anyway, crap yeah. for being in, you know, over there, <laughs> the other state across that river. Yeah, right across the river. I know. I, I've been, I give her a hard time all the time. But think uh, about it. She gets to look at New York. We have to look at Jersey, right? So she's got the actual <laughs> benefit. The there, wow, look at this beautiful skyline. I'm looking at it right now. Well, well Mike, Mike, I, I have to tell you, I am potting from Williamsburg, Brooklyn, on the oh, yep, waterfront. Yep. So I get to look at Manhattan as well. Very cool. Can't complain about the views. So let's start off with a little couple softball. You can just knock these out of the park. Your warm-up questions for today are as follows. All right. Uber or city bike? Oh, Uber. Uber. Okay. You're you're a quick riding guy. a bike around New York City is a death wish. Like, <laughs> I love bikes. Exactly. Riding a bike around taxi drivers and Uber drivers, you're out of your mind. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, your favorite go-to restaurant in New York City? So one of my favorite local spots is a little French place in Soho called Bistro Le Ami. Um, okay. I think it's amazing. So that's it's been a consistent one for a long time. Uh, is it open currently? Yes. Oh, yeah. They're, they're doing very well, I think. Okay. Thank we'll God. Have to put, we'll have to put that in the show notes after that. Go-to bar or watering hole in New York City. With obviously during the pandemic, if, if it's open during the pandemic, you have to have the uh, the, the Cuomo meal. You have to have the uh, significant meal. <laughs> Cuomo chips. Um, Cuomo chips, I the think, Cuomo uh, sandwich. I, I, I love the bar at the Nomad Hotel. I, I think oh, that one uh, is incredible. Yep. And uh, yeah. also, you know, I'm a, I'm a sucker for any rooftop. It could be four degrees outside. Um, I just have this this need to, to see New York City skyline. So, um, well, and there your, are many. I love Arlo. favorite rooftop? Arlo, okay. Uh, I, I love Arlo um, in Soho. I love um, the James, you know, I guess oh, Jimmy, yeah. at Jimmy at the James. Um, and I don't yep. think they're open. Um, I don't think they're open these days, but those are two two old school spots that I've, I've, I've been really enjoyed. Yeah, those, those are great choices. Uh, Danielle likes the 235th Avenue rooftop. That's for tourists and people from Jersey City. <laughs> yeah, that's... I haven't been in like four years. She, she wanted well, to go for her birthday. She wanted to go for her birthday, so we walked up. <laughs> we we walked up there, and uh, there was a cover, so we decided to maybe yeah skip it for this time. They have around. the igloos, right? They have igloos <laughs> and parkas, right? You've got the Santa parkas, and you've got the mm -hmm. igloos up there. Yeah, the, yeah. The, that the, place knows how to do it. That red blanket, yeah, yeah. 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 And you still freeze your ass off. So yeah. <laughs> that's true. It's, it's, uh, here we go. Uh, Equinox or New York Sports Club? Equinox. Okay. Westchester or Long Island? Come on. I'm from Long Island. It's your hometown. Westchester's yeah. upstate. There's mountains up there. <laughs> Westchester's pretty flat, but yes. Yes, it, it is technically for New Yorkers that is considered upstate. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, San Francisco or New York City? Ooh, tough one. Again, not not even close. New York City, All after right. living in San Francisco, I have nothing good to say about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then uh, final one. Uh, what's the most touristy thing you like to do in New York City? 
Um, so I, I love to just roam and just walk around, which sounds crazy, but I take pictures of things as if I've never seen them before. Uh, <laughs> you know, I walked by them 500 times. Uh, but I think one of the best tourist things you can do even is local circle line. I love boats. Circle line, yeah. Um, just okay. go and, and just, you know, tour around the city. I think it's one of the best ways to see New York City. Good old New York ferry. Can't beat it. That's it's awesome. so nice. Oh, I mean, or, or the ferry. It's free. Staten Island Ferry, you get an amazing tour, you know, for no charge. So that's probably oh, yeah, the yeah. best tourist attraction you've ever That ride. is a cool tourist attraction. Yeah, you're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. You know, you that, go that's back a good idea. All day if you want. <laughs> <laughs> and you could, you know, bring drinks on the on the your boat yep. and you could buy your drinks on the boat and stuff buy like that. Yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of a nice it's kind of a nice thing that they've had. Um you know, I, I did something thinking thinking about touristy things, I did something where I actually was biking mm-hmm. by the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree yesterday and yep. I got a photo of it. Kind That's of touristy. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of touristy. Gives energy and life back to Midtown, which we need right now. It needs it. You know, you know, it's kind of it's been a it's been a tough winter or fall for Midtown people in Manhattan. Yeah. So uh, Mike, you're also, you know, just to be, before we jump into our serious question, you're also, according to your LinkedIn, an angel investor and startup advisor. Are, so are you able to, are you allowed to talk about some of the startups that you invested in or you're involved um, in? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not really involved. Um, I don't really do a lot of advisory these days, but um, yeah, I've invested in a few. Um, fintech startup called Infinicept, um, a, a kind of a new coding platform called Uncork, an advertising platform called AdQuick. Um, oh, a luggage storage a company. There. You know Uncork? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Um, amazing company with, with really nice, you know, opportunities. Um, my friend's company, Bounce, um, which is luggage storage and, and kind of short-term storage, but with no overhead. Um, they don't own any wow. of the storage space. So obviously they've taken a big hit with no travel, but um, great platform, great products. Um, what else? Uh, one I cannot share uh, because it's confidential <laughs> still. Um, okay. but one that has an amazing opportunity in the, the semiconductor space. Um, and then, uh, a couple of funds as, as well and a bunch of real estate investment, but. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that, that's, that's, that's across all sorts of spectrums, right? You basically, you have engine, you have coders, you have, uh, storage space, mm-hmm. you have real estate, all kind of related to tech, but in different sectors of the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very nice. Very true. How, how does one become an angel investor? Um, one is you have to like losing money, right? Because <laughs> most of your money will disappear. Um, you've got to be comfortable knowing that you might not see a return for 5, 10, 15 years, if ever. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of networks. So the, the, the Jobs Act in 2010 allowed people um, to become accredited investors and act um, as investors in private placements that are non-public, right? Because they, when they're not public, they're not audited. There's nothing really affirmed. So you're taking a big risk. Um, but something else that came out of that is this concept of a syndicate where you can have an accredited investor or a, a portfolio company or a VC or someone basically raise money from individuals and pull that money and invest on their behalf. So that's the uh. easiest way for people to start to get into it. And to me, the, Tim Ferriss talked about this years ago, how he weighed the idea of getting an MBA. If you think about the cost of an MBA, not just the cost of getting it, but the opportunity cost of not making money and the time and all the other things. He said, why don't I just take $10,000 and invest it in 10 different companies each year for two years? And I'll probably learn more about business and operations and, and entrepreneurship than right. I ever would in a classroom. And true, in my mind, I'm like, oh, holy crap, that's like, that's an incredible 
you know, proxy for an amazing education. So that that's kind of the the desire behind why I want to do it. I mean, that 10 grand itself is probably worth 100 grand based on the amount of human experiences and learnings that you'll get to encounter yeah. throughout that. Not even one year. You said it could take 10 plus years to get your money back. That's 10 that's plus right. years of free education. That's right. And and by the way, I wish I was Tim Ferriss because the companies he got to invest in were Uber, Twitter, um, Reddit, you know, like companies that clearly today are, you know, worth tens and tens of billions of dollars. So they, they, they kind um, of hit. Yeah, a little bit. I think they've done okay. They've done okay. Yeah. Airbnb. Tim Ferriss, did, yeah. Okay. Not bad. Yeah. Uh, Airbnb has an IPO, right? They're they're on their Coming way. Coming soon. Coming yeah. soon. Okay. Yeah. And it seems like it's going to be a, a blowout. Interesting time to IPO uh, for tech companies, especially. I, I just feel like Airbnb is not like hotels are struggling. People aren't traveling, and I'm sure I don't know what their profitability is like year over year in comparison. But I, I just feel like it's not their home run type year. It just feels like an interesting time to IPO. What do you think about that? Take you should take a look at the numbers because they've they've shared a lot, and you know they took a massive hit and they had to raise a billion dollars basically to stay afloat because the, again, as you know, in March and April, travel seized across the country. Yeah. I mean, yeah, ESA yeah. check-ins were no. down 97%, right? No money. But what, yeah. what you've seen happen is that just like people are not flying as much, but they are driving other places and they need a place to stay. And it's almost transformed travel from being this aspirational travel world of I'm going to go to Dubai, I'm going to go to Japan, yeah. I'm going to go to whatever. It's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going upstate. And you know what? There aren't yeah. enough hotels upstate or I want to stay for a week or two weeks or you know, I live in a cramped New York City apartment. I want to go work from somewhere else for a couple of weeks. Well, Airbnb has kind of, sh you know, shoved itself in this almost temporary real uh, temporary office like this, space. This yeah. area, yeah, like this uh, within this area. Yeah, yeah, yep. you're right. So they've that actually done incredibly totally. well, and I give them credit. Okay. okay, good, good to know. Well, listen, I, you're a busy man. I don't want to take up too much of your time. So let's jump into some of these real questions, the <laughs> hard-hitting questions to the core. Uh, we, you know, your background is in Square and phenomenal companies and it, ideas sprung up to make it easier for company to take money, right? What better way is it for business to help out a business for them so they can take more money from people? Uh, right. You know, where was Square originally when you joined the company? I guess you said it was obviously, you know, 20, 20 person team or whatnot, but uh, where, where was it exactly then? And then, and then where was it when you left the company? So the, the, the team was about 20 or 30, but the, the company itself at the time was about yeah. 1,000 employees. Sure, um, yeah. And it was, it was right around the IPO time. Uh, so it was a really interesting place to learn and see, you know, what does it take to become a public company? And, you know, Square went public under a lot of skepticism and scrutiny because, you know, here's a company saying we're a software company, we're a software company, we're a technology company. Yeah, yeah, you know, Wall yeah. Street didn't really know what that meant. They're like, well, you yeah. look like a, a, a credit card processing company. You know, so how do you kind of transfer the the kind of perception of your business from being this like very boring credit card processor to being this game changing technology platform that, like you said, allows more businesses to accept, you know, card payments that allows more businesses to operate efficiently and productively. So the business went from just that little reader, you know, that people plug into a phone. Yep. A little, that people little scanner. Square with. Yeah. Yep. And by the way, yeah. even before that, they did before they even had a reader, you could just key a card number into a phone. Um, you know, that was game changing, you know, mm. payment technology at the time, you know, now yeah. Square is obviously operating in many countries. It's not only one of the leading mobile points of sale um, in the country, not just for small businesses and coffee shops and food trucks. But if you go to Shake Shack and order on their kiosk, that's yeah. powered by Square. If yeah, you go yeah. to Washington, D.C. and take a taxi, 
their digital meter is powered by Square and the payments oh, wow. are rolling That's through. A huge yeah, one. pretty cool. Huge Big one. ones. If you go to Washington National Stadium, which hopefully someday we get to go back to stadiums, um, but and you want to order food from your seat, you're actually doing it through a combination of Square um, and their back-end operations. So it's really proliferated into being this incredible you know, mobile payment and mobile order technology company, while also now the most amazing thing that they've done is Cash App. And, you know, Cash App with 40 something million users or whatever the number is. Yeah. The new um, Venmo. And it's, 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 it's a, a hundred X better Venmo um, yeah. because, you know, inside of Cash App, you can trade stocks, you can buy crypto, you can yep. borrow money. Now you get your direct deposit. There's a debit card. So uh, as you could tell, transparently, I'm still a square shareholder and believe a lot in that company, but um, it, it's really a I transformative it. business worldwide. Square is a buy. Square is a buy. He is not giving you investment advice. I, I have not. I, yes. <laughs> according no, no to, way. No, no according record. to the power rating system, uh, they have a grade A on the components that make up the the, the success to be a bigger company. Uh, once uh, the vaccine is approved, then business is back up in all, all across the nation, especially in the retail sector. Yeah, I mean they're 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 ninety five billion dollar valuation right now. Stocks over two hundred dollars a share, um, yeah. and it went down to thirty six dollars a share in March. So, oh, wow. you know, okay. people really thought this company would be destroyed because the retail sector, food and beverage, et cetera. But uh, oh, they've responded incredibly well. Yeah. Short-sighted. Yeah. Short-sighted. Well, same is. with Airbnb, right? People thought Airbnb oh, yeah, was yeah, done, yeah. but sure. now they're going to IPO at 3x of the valuation. Right. Right. All right. Well, let's switch gears. You know, I want to do a little pivot here and let's talk about mm -hmm. Compass. You know, I, I think your, is it, was it your idea, the Compass Concierge program, or did you kind of make it into fruition? Because on the transition from what we just talked about, Square, and why I want to talk about what you're doing at Compass, Square also is a business loan company. People don't know this, but you guys, you guys proactively reach out to businesses at Square to give them money to help them grow. You, what you're doing at the at present time with Compass Concierge, and give me 30 seconds to explain what Compass Concierge is to our audience. Mm -hmm. For those that don't know, is essentially we as brokers, when we take on a listing, we will give that list, listing owner the opportunity to utilize interest-free loans up to, well, New York City, up to $30,000 right now, to do whatever you want to do, or I would advise you to do, whether it's bathroom renovations, staging, kitchen renovations, painting, spackling, uh, you know, uh, decluttering, whatever it may be, upgrading electrical fixtures, washing windows, whatever it may be, to increase the value of your home. If it's usually our metrics are about, you know, if you put in, uh, it's usually about, if it's under a million bucks, it's, if the property's worth under a million bucks, it's probably about 1.5 to 1.7 times your investment to, to, to do that type of work. And then that's the amount that you'll probably get back on a sale. So going back to you, Mike, that when you came, I mean, was the Compass Concierge idea kind of, did that fruition come because of what you learned at Square or was there, was there some kind of tie into that? I, I can't take any credit. And the reason why is because we steal all of our ideas from you, um, from our agents. And okay. we just saw, hey, agents are doing this anyway, right? Whether you were recommending yep. that your client has to paint and stage, whether the client was taking money out of their own pocket. In many cases, agents were coming out of pocket and doing this work because they walked in the house like, you can't sell this house, right? right. Or no I'll one's going to, no one wants yellow carpet. Yeah. I'll give you the listing. You pay for the staging. It's like, what? Well, I that's... pay for the staging? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But but you know, talk that in many places, the, the only way you'll get a home to sell is to stage it or paint it or clean it because especially in a in a very competitive market right now, like New York City is probably facing, 
you know, one of the harshest markets it's faced in a long time. So it's like, well, when there's so much inventory on the market, you you need your place to stand out above that rest of that inventory. So there's kind of multiple buckets, right? There's the, hey, your place is unsellable in current condition, right? So yep. we need to do yep. some of the work, right? There's, yep. hey, your place is fine, but like we can get it to sell faster and for a better price with, right, just a little bit of work. Uh, and then there's somewhere it's like, hey, for not a lot of money, you can transform your home from you know, a million dollar property to a $1.5 million property with just this small investment and no promises because no one really knows, but you know, you know, the data and you know, the market and you know, what is selling and what's hot, you know, maybe a $30,000 updated kitchen gives a hundred thousand dollars in added value. Maybe it doesn't. Right. But, you know, so we stole the idea, honestly, from our agents who were doing this for years, you know, where I think my team came in is, okay, how do we scale this? You know, how do we support 20,000 agents doing this? How do I support thousands of projects in a legal way, in a compliant way, in an organized way. Um, and that's why we, we partnered with a, a, a licensed consumer lender as well to be able to scale this uh, with the debit card, whether it's the debit card or direct payment to vendor. So there's a lot here, but I think you know, concierge has been a game changer, not only to helping agents win listings, but also to helping those clients sell those homes faster and for more money. Um, and we have the data to back that up, which is pretty cool. I mean, I can't speak to LA agents or Aspen agents or Chicago agents, but I will say New York has had a very tough year from due to the pandemic. And some of the apartments that we have sold this year, and obviously it's not as much as last year, but I will tell you, if it wasn't for concierge, we it would still be on the market today, hands down. It's great you affirmation. Know, that, we, I mean, we, talk when you like when you're like, oh, where did the idea come from? It's hearing agents say things like that because that's a, right. That's a game changing comment. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Daniel, how many? How many concierge projects have we done since the program came up? Like three, two dozen, three, almost, maybe more? Probably around a dozen. Dozen? Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe. So, you know, we, out, out of those dozen, I would say almost 99% of the ones that we've actually implemented concierge sold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so, so, I mean, that just tells you proof that we, we actually, for those sellers that use concierge, it is the proof is in the pudding that it, it works. Now, but now Mike, I, I, have a, I have a question about just kind of logistics of that. You know, mm-hmm. the, the sellers say, okay, we're going to take a loan from you of $30,000 and we want to, um, you know, we want, we will pay you back at closing, but why, where's, what's, where's the catch? How do you guys make money on this? And, you know, I guess, my answer to that is usually, well, we don't really make money. We just get the listing. You know, we just solidify the fact that we get the listing. Now, there has to be a way where the lender is making money on the back end, right? Because it's not like we're personally or Compass is personally lending out their money. It is coming through our partner and our lending partner. So how is there an exchange of money and who's benefiting from that? Yeah, so it is our money. Right, it's a hundred percent. Oh, it money is. I thought it was notable, client. but no. But notable is the one lending the money. So we invest with notable. Notable is the, then the lender to determine when this money goes out, how it goes out, et cetera, to make sure that we're compliant. Uh, but that's still Compass money, um, and you oh. know we pay notable a per loan fee, you know, to issue them. So it's pretty simple. That's how they make their money. Um, we don't make any money on concierge per se. We don't charge fees. We don't charge interest, and and we've stated no. that we never will. However, yeah. I think where we do make money is in what you just said, which is that 99% of these concierge homes that you've done have sold, whereas only yeah. 56% of homes in New York City have sold in the last 12 months that hit the market, right? right? So when your client says, oh my God, 99 versus 56, that's a pretty good bet, 
you know, to say this is pretty cool. Uh, nationwide, concierge homes are selling about 28% faster um, than non-concierge homes. Um, and that's a pretty crazy stat. So it's like even in the hottest markets, like you mentioned, you know, Aspen, Southern California, Boston, Nashville, Tennessee, you know, Austin, Texas, um, concierge homes sell materially faster. Um, so for that client, you know, the difference of a third less time on the market, that's peace of mind. That's fewer carrying costs. That's maybe one less mortgage payment or two less mortgage yeah. payments. To make. So yeah. this is real money savings for, for a family, especially Huge. for a family who might have kids and they're stressed. So we don't make money on that, but we know agents win more listings because of it. So everyone does better on the compass side from that perspective, but your client does better. Um, and that's the brand we're trying to build around concierge, that this is not only a competitive advantage for you as an agent talk compared to a non-compass agent, but um, that you're able to show your client with data uh, using compass lens and with our new concierge CMA that's going to come out that, that these things make a real impact on the sellability of the home. Yeah. I mean, everything sounds so good about it. You know, it's like, it's almost too good to be true. Now tell me though, it can't be all too good to be true. I mean, do, do, what are some of the hard <laughs> lessons no. that you've learned? <laughs> I know. Right? What are some of the hard lessons you've learned during this process of learning how to implement and scale concierge? I mean, the beautiful thing is we've done about 17,000 projects. So we have a really, really nice sample size to look at all the risk in the portfolio and the risk. And, and you know, the return rate on this is very high and the default rate is extremely low. And mm. we've been able to really isolate and identify what are the profiles or project types that are the highest risk for us uh, or the ones where we've said, you know what, that, like, we don't think we're going to get the same bang for our buck with this type of listing, having concierge on it than another. And this is why you've seen the guidelines change over the years of, you know, list price cap of 3 million, you know, the project size, you know, caps in place. So these still encompass 95 plus percent of our previous project portfolio, but we've eliminated that very small percentage that we deem very high risk. So um, there aren't any hard lessons here, I would say, but, you know, mm -hmm. One of our entrepreneurship principles is learn from reality. Um, and yeah. one of the realities is we've been able to identify pretty clearly and discreetly what those buckets of home are that we probably don't need to to throw money to. You know, new mm. development. Um, no. <laughs> yes. You know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no. And by the way, they have money. I would love to see concierge on new dev, right, to stage those homes. But that's usually already incorporated into the agreements with the developers. So, yeah, um, exactly. so it's not the same value add. Well, staging is different. I mean, yeah, staging is probably easier, but like once you start lending money to a new dev, that means we are the equity partner to that project. Yeah, and we're not set up for that. Not today. Right. You know, we're definitely right. not equipped for that. Yeah. Well, you know, to, as far as uh, timing is concerned, we, we're, we want to kind of switch a little bit more out of concierge and talk mm -hmm. about, uh, you know, you really never, you come from a tech background, but you come into real estate and yes, I mean, you've, you've owned homes and, and obviously you bought and sold yourself uh, even before coming to Compass. But what have you learned jumping into the brokerage world, working with brokers? And like I said before, a lot of us, we, we are not, we're tech savvy, but we're not tech people. So you're, you're coming into a whole different field and industry and you, I'm sure you've had a, a huge adjustment in how you want to focus your attention and working with some of these brokers or the way you train them or the way you talk to them or the way you uh, think about products for them. You know, what have you learned since coming here 
about the real estate industry and brokers on a maybe in New York City and a national level. And what do you hope to learn again going into the future? It, I think that's a critical set of questions because I knew nothing about payments when I went to Square. I knew nothing about channel mm -hmm. marketing and channel sales when I went to Structured Web. And you have sure. to listen to customers. And, you know, in Compass, you are our customer. Our agents are our customers. And, right. you know, I, I probably met with, no exaggeration, maybe 200 agents and sales managers in my first three months uh, at the <laughs> company. And yeah, yeah. there's no other way to learn. There's no other way to do yeah. it. So it's like, well, because what you see very quickly is there are so much, there's so much variation of agent type inside the brokerage world. You know, again, you've got veteran agents, teams, you've got, you know, leasing agents, you've got new dev agents, you've got suburban agents and buyer agents and listing agents and people who do all of the above and people have international clientele. And the interesting thing is, although the, the agent base is very diverse and fragmented, you start to see a lot of patterns emerge very quickly. And my goal is to be able to take those patterns and take the repeated effort and the repeated function and the repeated goals and say, okay, how do we now put that into technology so that technology makes that easier? Because that, that workflow, that process, that objective, that problem, that pain point is universal for 70 or 90% of our agents, right? Sure. And if you're solving it there and you make marketing easier, for example, well, then agents do more marketing, which yields more leads and more sales, right? If I can right. give you better data so that you can show a comp analysis to your client and they say, oh my God, Tak and Danielle know so much more about this property in this neighborhood, this building than anyone else. Um, I'd be crazy not to list with an expert like this, which is why right. I think the term real estate advisor has started to emerge from the industry because I think real estate agents today are more, as, more advisory than they are brokers right? Or selling. Right? Um, sales is a part of everything we do. So it's how do we make that easy? Um, what do I want to keep learning? You know, I always want yeah. to be able to see around the corner and see forward, yep. right? Because mm -hmm. I need to look a year, two years in advance because it takes a while to build things and it takes a while to scale things. So it's what are the things you're doing today that I see changing in six or 12 or 18 months so that we, through our technology, can build so that when we get to that point or the market shifts or the industry changes, we're already there. And we, are at, yeah. we have a technology solution to help you through that um, as opposed to just a manual solution or, you know, agents having to scramble. And I think, you know, in the industry, agents have had to scramble a lot because of a lot of industry changes or regulatory changes or market-based changes. We want to be All able to build so that no matter what the environment, you can operate your business effectively and, and productively. What do you think that, what do you think that changes as far as tools are concerned? I mean, is it AI? Is it... You know, is it a specific technology? AI is huge. AI yeah. is huge because there are so many things that you do every day that other agents do every day that you probably don't want to do every day, but it's part of the job. So it's like, can we help you automate or simplify that? Um, can we help notify you when certain things in the market or industry change that, hey, you as the expert maybe then make the decision, do I want to talk about this? Well, the industry is showing me X, Y, Z, um, and our AI tool can start to find these patterns that as humans, we can't identify. And, you know, when you look into 2021 and 2022, what do we know? Well, we know mortgage rates are going to stay really low, right? Yes. So what does that mean? Cheap money. Cheap money is attractive and fun, but, you know, mm -hmm. eventually there might not be enough money to go around and mortgages are going to have to start to constrict right. even more who they yeah. lend money to. Um, you know, how do you balance that? How do you handle the co-op boards of New York City, you know, in oh. an very uncertain time, right? My Craziness. So My goodness. we There's automate so much a lot of the work that you do. Yeah. So yeah. that your job is easier and that you can then focus on what you do best, which is meeting with clients and selling real estate and showing homes and, and, and not in the minutia of the day to day.
Yeah. Okay. You said you met with two, 300 brokers. I mean, it, was there one meeting that kind of shocked you or surprised you or uh, just made you think or thought, wow, this industry is crazy. I, was there one meeting that kind of stood out to you? Nothing specific, but I think what did stand out is how different every one of your jobs is yeah. every day. Yeah. Same yeah. title, maybe same market, yeah. maybe the same office, maybe the same tenure. It doesn't matter how you do your job, what you love to do, what you're good at, what you don't like to do, what you're not good at, um, what you want to accomplish in the next 12 months. Listen, we have a lot of agents as well who in their mind, they don't want to grow their business, right? Which is crazy, but they want to profit more because they want to be yeah. more efficient at how they run their business or they don't want to work 90 hours a week because maybe they've got little kids or, or they want yeah, to get yeah, closer yeah. to retirement. And then there are other agents who are like, if I don't double my business next year, I'm, I'm going to be very unhappy. So accommodating and building for all those use cases is really, it's really hard, but it's a lot of fun uh, because yeah, it's sure. built for all types of agents. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what makes our industry so unique. You know, when I, when I was young in my, my early years, I'm 12 years in the business, but it, it's, it's, you can ask 10 agents for advice and you're going to get 10 different answers. And so it's yeah. very frustrating to find a mentor that really makes sense or, you know, really frustrating to find uh, a solution to a problem because everybody's got different answers. Yeah. Just the, it's up to you to figure that out. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Nature of the piece. Yep. Uh, did, before we close out, Danielle, uh, my co-host, do you, do you have any uh, uh, parting questions for Mike? Yeah. I was just going to ask, like, what do you think is the most rewarding part of working at Compass so far and working with all these different types of agents since it's a different type of setup from your former roles? Yeah. I think it, it's seeing the the vast adoption of some of these products because you know talk you mentioned you've done a dozen plus concierge projects concierge projects take time I've done right? an effort probably, right yeah, you're lot, not going to yeah. do it unless it makes sense unless it's really helping your business and you know the reality is the gratitude and the, the gratification that you see when you build something that materially changes the success of someone's business agents are all independent contractors and business owners and to me, it's a, you're helping a business owner, you know, the, and, and that's actually very similar to what we saw at Square, you know, taking a small business doing a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and helping them grow to a million dollar business. Yeah. That's real money to a real yeah. family who's 100%. putting kids through school and putting clothes on those kids back and putting food on the table. Like there's, and, and our agents, I think, are in the same boat. And, you know, if our agents don't sell, if they don't do transactions, they don't make money. So every day, just making sure that we're building stuff that helps our agents make more money, helps them grow their business if they want to, help them be more profitable, uh, because you see it immediately in the business. And again, for many of our agents, they're individuals, they're individual business owners. So um, the gratitude is there both ways. You know, I really believe. Yeah, no, I, I truly understand that and truly feel that uh, the, the partnership has been a phenomenal ride you know, with having a tech partnering with tech and business and growing the real estate field and changing it dynamically. One more thing on my end, I know one of your podcasts, you said you don't really look at competitors because that's a waste of time, right? It's like, it's like uh, Olympic swimmers. They don't like, they don't look at who's next to you in the lane. It's you yeah. focus on your swim, but other companies are coming up with concierge too. So I just wanted to note that it is an interesting uh, trend that, uh, that we have set in the industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, it could be interesting to see how things will happen and, you know, how things will go in the following year with concierge become, maybe it might become a normal thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, I saw that. Imita Sotheby's, imitation Sotheby's is the, highest yep. form imitation of, the highest form of flattery. Yep. Yep. Is that the, is that uh, the office? I, uh, no, I, I forget who's called. Oh, no, that's, that's an old that's, quote. 
Oh, that's an old quote. Okay, yeah. I, I think uh, Dwight Schrute said that once. There's so, somebody <laughs> said that once in the office. It was hilarious. Uh, anyways, Mike Cassetta, thank you for coming on to the Real Talk podcast. Thank I you. really appreciate your time. Have a nice December. We'll uh, uh, stay well. in touch and hopefully catch up again. You know, sometime next year. For sure. Well, thank you both. Have a great holiday. Thank All you. right. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you Thank soon. You. Take care. Bye-bye.